Hi, I'm Pastor Kenneth Olusanya of the Vivify Ministries, and it is my joy that your heart is awakened to the finished works of Christ with such powerful simplicity. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Look, tonight we have a very packed uh, service for you, uh, but remember, if you have a friend that's supposed to be here, I want you to go grab them, your family members, grab them, get a TV, whatever you can do, just let them stream this, right, and and just be blessed this evening. Praise the name of Jesus. Welcome to the month of June. Uh, It's been a very fantastic year so far. I mean, this year has been so so full of testimonies from across the board, and I just want to say thank you to God for that, Um, and also thank you to you for participating. If you've been here from the beginning of the year till now, you are the real MVPs, and I celebrate you. But this month, look, this month is going to be phenomenal. It's going to change lives forever. You know, every year at this ministry, Vivify Ministries, we make it a point of duty to equip believers with the right knowledge, the, the right information to be able to go out and stand confidently wherever they are found to speak the truth, to stand for the truth, wherever they are. And we specifically, I, I, you know, this month is a very interesting month. For those of you who don't know, this month of June is called Pride Month. And for some of you who know already what the LGBTQ community, LGBTQ plus community is all about, um, they have a month that they dedicate to celebrate their beliefs, right? And of course, the LGBTQ community consists of people on the spectrum, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and the list keeps going on, pansexual and the rest. And this is a month where they stand for what they believe, very vocal, this is where they are the most vocal, this is where they are the most confident, this is where they are the most proud, all right? And so a lot of activities go on, they have parades, um, just things to let the world know that they've come to stay, all right? That what they believe is what they believe, and let the world deal with that information as they want to. But here at Vivify, this month of June is also Pride Month, where we boast in Christ Jesus, where we put all our confidence in Him, where we stand for the truth in the face of adversity and opposition, and where we confidently proclaim the truth of God's Word. Amen. Come on, someone who is proud, come on, just say loud, Amen. That is a month, and, and, and this is a month of apologetics, where we teach, we train, and equip you to know how to defend your faith. Praise the name of Jesus. So this teaching series for this month is called Asking for a Friend. And you have those friends who have these tough questions that they always ask. People you come across, maybe even strangers, who ask you questions, and you're like, ah, I, I, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll get back to you. I, I don't really know that one. And that's just been the story of your life where you never know for sure. Or maybe when you knew for a certain period of time, another period of time you, you don't know. Like you're not sure anymore. There's doubt creeping in. This month is to help build your confidence in the truth that you already know. Or maybe you never even knew the truth. To present the truth to you and help you stand confidently in this belief. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. I want to start with this scripture. If I don't start with this scripture... Come on, just, just stop the live stream already. <laughs> First Peter chapter 3 from verse 15. Can you open there? Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 from verse 15. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. 
See, God is going to do something very special with your life by the end of this service. He's going to activate something special. If you believe it, I want you to be sensitive and receptive. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Are you there? First Peter 3.15. This is the scripture that everybody needs to open to. Amen. You need to open it right away. First Peter 3 verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, and I'm reading from the NIV, in your hearts, the KJV says, sanctify the Lord God in your heart, you know, um, but the NIV says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. You know, the word revere and the word sanctify means to create a space that is sacred and hallowed in your heart. It means in all your dealings, yes, you are involved in politics or involved in academics or fashion or, or you know, culinary arts, whatever it is you're involved in. At the end of the day, there must be a place in your heart reserved to the Lord where you esteem him, where you lift him up in your heart. That is very important as, a, as, as regards consecration as a believer. If God is important to you, it must show in this way, and this is the way it's going to show. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Look, it says always, that's the key word. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. So he's saying, look, if you want to show how sanctified God is in your heart, you prove it by always being ready to give an answer to skeptics. You prove it by always being ready to say what you know, to give the reason for your hope, the reason for your faith, and give it with gentleness and with respect. Praise the name of Jesus. This scripture tells you that ignorance is no longer an option. As a believer in Christ who is growing in consecration, it's no longer an option for you to be ignorant, to say, I don't know. It happens, of course, you can't know everything. But knowledge about the fundamental things of your faith, oh my goodness, it's, 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 it's non-negotiable. Ignorance is not an option. There, there are now high expectations of you. The world expects things for you. If you believe something, you need to tell me why you believe it. You need to give me evidence. You need to give me proof. Why should I believe what you believe in the first place if it's true? You need to give evidence. Praise the name of Jesus. You can't, avoid to ju- you can't afford to just walk into conversations clueless anymore. Those days are far behind you. Say a loud amen. Those days are far behind you. You cannot afford to you cannot afford to just walk clueless into conversations anymore. You need to know something about everything, especially as pertains to your faith. Praise the name of Jesus. You know, you it, it's it's a call to be thirsty for knowledge. It's a call to strive to know more all the time. Amen. All right, because someday someone will ask you. Someone will ask you. All right, if they haven't already started asking you, praise the name of Jesus. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4, a very powerful scripture as well. Colossians chapter 4 from verse 5 to 6. I hope you are ready. We are going to open way more scriptures. And I want you to promise me right now that you will open your Bibles. I hope you're with your Bibles, whether on your phones or your devices or physical copy. But you need to have your Bibles. I want you to read with me every step of the way. Do you, will you make me that promise? Awesome. 
All right, so Colossians chapter 4 from verse 5. It says, Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. I love this scripture so much. It says, Be wise in the way that you interact with people who are outside and make the most of every opportunity. It tells me that every opportunity to have a conversation is a great opportunity and you must always make the most out of it. Make the most out of every opportunity to sow a seed, to say something. Verse six, let your conversation be always full of grace. And this is similar to what we just read before where it says to do it with gentleness and to do it with respect. So the grace is talking about is to do it with grace, to do it with, with a lot of sensibility, with, with room to, to, to accommodate excesses of these people. And it says seasoned with salt. When you have salt in food, it makes it better. It makes it sweeter. It makes it more appealing. It makes it more desirable. So even as you are make, having this conversation, let it be seasoned with salt. Let it sound captivating. Let it be, be presented in a way that gets attention so that you may know how to answer everyone. Look, you've been called to a life where you need to answer everyone. All right. And I'm not just talking about anyone who's trying to just play hanky-panky, but people who actually want to know the truth. You have a responsibility now to give answers. You, you are the answer man. You are the answer woman. You are the go-to person now for knowledge. Praise the name of Jesus. And I'm going to read one more scripture, very powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 4. Open your Bibles very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 from verse 4. This is all just introductory. I'm going to deep dive into way more things. Uh, glory to God. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 to 5. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, um, I beg your pardon, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ. Now, when it starts by saying the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, it's like when we wage war, we're not fighting with swords and spears and arrows. That's not the kind of war we fight. The kind of war we fight is an invisible war. It's a war against philosophies, against arguments, against belief systems, the strongholds of the mind. So I want you to see that when you are doing spirit, when, when we hear spiritual warfare, a lot of the times we're just thinking about that person in the village you want to that is attacking you. You know, that old woman or that satanic spirit, not always the case. The spiritual warfare is not always casting and binding and, you know, that's not always what it is. True spiritual warfare is in the pulling down of strongholds, where you bring every thought, every philosophy, every belief system into captivity in Christ Jesus. You bring everything to obedience to Christ. That when every argument, every lofty argument rises, when they see the knowledge, the, the, the supremacy of the knowledge of Christ, they all bow before it. Praise the name of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is true spiritual warfare. And God has enlisted you in his army to fight this war. You are a soldier of Christ and you are to fight this battle. Praise the name of Jesus. In your, 
journey of being an ambassador of Christ. The Bible told us in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 from verse 17 that if any man be in Christ is a new creature, it goes on to say that we've been called to reconcile the world. All right, we've been called to be ambassadors of Jesus, to bring the world to God, to plead on God's behalf, to bring people, to reconcile people back to God. On your journey of making this possible, you're going to have to defend God. You're going to have to stand for God because the world has put God on trial. If you tell people, believe in God, why? How do I know he exists? Even if he exists, how do I know he's good? How do I know I can trust him? The world today, and especially with all the terrible things that are happening, I'm going to go to, to talk about the reality of our world today. It's, it's getting increasingly difficult for people to actually put faith in God. Because when you turn to your left, you see evil. When you turn to your right, you see evil. When you look forward, you see everything that just speaks bad and terrible things. You know, you read the news. The truth is news. When you read the news or watch the news, whenever do you hear good news? Hardly. You hardly ever hear news that you hear is so, so, so people died in so place, this place, there's a war brewing, there is, there is battles, there is, there is um, someone arrested for something, it's, you know, a mass shooting. It, it, when you look left, right, center, you're always seeing something terrible happening. And the world has put God on trial and said, you know what, if you want me to serve this, your God, you need to prove to me that he exists. You have to prove to me that he is good. You have to prove to me that Jesus that you speak about is the way to God. And that I can have eternal life through him. You have to prove it to me. You can't just tell me. Gone are the days when you just say, these are the days where you stay and persuade with the truth, with evidence. Praise the name of Jesus. That is what we're talking about. You've now been enlisted as God's lawyer. You, you watched the, probably you did, the, the Johnny Depp and Amber Head case, the most recent one. You saw how it was where you put someone on the stand and you grill them with questions and questions and there's all this evidence coming up to say oh this person is terrible this person is bad but the lawyer there and I think they had uh, John Depp had fantastic lawyers by the way and then you know she stands up and she 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 grills the opponent and brings facts and just you know systematically dissects smashes till everybody's like okay you know what yeah yeah beyond reasonable doubt this person is innocent of all charges. That is what you have now been called to do. You might not have a law degree, but you've been called to defend God. He's been put on the stand. The world needs answers, and you can give those answers to them. Do you understand? You are, you've been hired now as God's attorney. <laughs> Amen. Big, big shoes to fill, I must say. But by the grace and the power and the, the power of the Holy Spirit, we can make it happen. Amen. Glory to God. So let me just, you know, go to this. Um, the world as we know it. I want to just introduce you to the world that we live in. Number one, we live in a dark world. We live in a dark world. And, and that's what I started by saying, that this world is full of evil. When you look left, right, center, there is so much evil. There is so much sin happening. You know, this is almost like the days of Noah and, you know, the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's increasingly terrible mass killings, terrorism, just when you look around, you don't need to go too far to see bad things happening. You live in a very dark world. 
that is the reality but god has called you to shine some light wherever you go the bible says in philippians that we live in a perverse and crooked generation but we are to shine as lights in this generation praise the name of jesus amen number two we live in a progressive generation we live in a progressive generation um in the name of tolerance and liberty and diversity we we, we have left behind some very timeless truths and value systems just in the name of freedom in the name of tolerance in the name of diversity that at the end of the day we need to be inclusive of everyone inclusive inclusive of everything and the most common sense values we just leave them behind in the name of being progressive that is the generation we live in it's a woke generation it's a generation where you can't just say anything they will ask questions you can't just say anything and move. You must, they will ask you questions. You tell a five-year-old, and back in my day, you tell a five-year-old to sit down, he'll sit down. And then in this day, you tell a five-year-old, this gen generation Z, tell a five-year-old, well, I wasn't, I am generation Z, but generation Z of that time was different. Um, and then you tell a five-year-old, and maybe this is generation alpha also, and you tell him to sit down, he'll look at you and say, oh, why? I'm like, oh, 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 me? Yes, why? I said you should sit down. Why should I sit down? Ha. <laughs> that is the generation that you live in. They want answers. It's progressive. Colossians 2 verse 8 says something. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Paul knew that this was going to happen, that people will bring all sorts of philosophies and ideologies. When you look just surface level on the, the theory of evolution that was propagated by um, Charles Darwin, right? And when he released his book on the origin of species, that in itself, when you think about it, it sounds like it sounds like he did so much to arrive at that like he had to do a lot of intellectual gymnastics to to end up with that and it still is so shallow and hollow that's what the scripture was saying it's hollow it doesn't it doesn't hold weight it it, it tells you that you have to wait a million millions of years to observe the evolutionary pro process macro evolution and we don't have any example of any species that actually evolved to another species. In fact, we've not lived for up to a million years to witness and observe that. How is that scientific? Science says you need to be able to observe it to come to a conclusion. And yet most of the world holds a lot of the world, let me not say most, but a lot of the world in the westernized areas hold to the theory of evolution which holds no water. You live in a generation where people are just too smart for their liking. People come up with all sorts of theories. There's a story I read, very interesting story. So it was um, in the books that were written about Sherlock Holmes, you know, and his partner, John Watson. So um, they went camping and, you know, they slept off and, and they woke up, you know, and Holmes, Sherlock Holmes woke John Watson up. You know, he woke him, woke him up, tapped him, tapped him. And, and, you know, they were looking up at, you know, upwards. And he was asking him, um, John Watson, what do you see? He asked him, what do you see? And John Watson was looking, oh, wow, uh, 
you know, I see the stars, I see how the constellations align, I see how this connects with this, I see how astrology, beautiful in itself, has made us understand and interpret these signs, and I see the Sagittarius constellation, I see this, he was speaking on and on, and Sherlock Holmes said, bro, <laughs> you know, they went camping, they went to their camping tents, and he was like, bro, they stole our tents. Like, that's what I wanted you to see. That at the end of the day, when you look up and you see the sky, you see the night sky, it means they stole our tent. They went camping, you know, but he was just speaking high sounding nonsense because that's the world we live in where the, the logical, reasonable truth is right in front of you. You go around in circles and try to sound so wise, whereas it's actually foolish. That's the generation that we live in. Praise the name of Jesus. Number three, we live in an enlightened generation. And this is similar to what I was saying, um, that you can't get away with gimmicks anymore. It's a generation, as much as they are progressive, they are also enlightened. They have information. Education is more widespread in our generation. Education has reached the far corners of the world. And this is a generation that is enlightened and exposed. The average child in this generation knows how to operate a mobile device. The average child in this generation most likely and sadly so, may have been exposed earlier to sexual things and provocative things than they should have, you know, in that age range. Do you understand? It's an enlightened generation. That's what we live in. And number four, we live in an anti-Christ generation. This is different from just being a dark world. It's an anti-Christ generation. It's a generation that seeks to oppose Christ directly or indirectly. It propagates anti-Christ material in movies, in the media, in, 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 the, you know, wherever you go, you see an abuse, a slander on the name of Jesus. You mean, in, it, it's, it's, I mean, imagine making a movie. I just recently, I, I, I was um, looking through a catalog of movies and I saw a, a movie, I'm not going to mention the name, that propagated the fact that Jesus was a gay man and all his disciples were gay. Like, you, you, you don't have any basis for it in the scriptures, yet you propagate that information to the world. This world is anti-Christ. That's the world that you live in. That's why movies make fun of him. That's why everywhere you go, Jesus' Jesus's name is even a swear word. You know, so we live in that kind of generation. But you have been called to be God's lawyer in this world, in this world that is dark, that is progressive, that is enlightened, and that is antichrist. So there is this big shoes to fill, really, you know, really huge task ahead of us. But we're going to do it effectively by the grace of God. That's why we're having this kind of teaching. Amen. All right. But let me just start from the basics to help you understand what is apologetics. Right. We're going to talk more about this at our upcoming apologetics conference called Audacity Conference. Um, it's going to be phenomenal. Don't miss it for anything. Um, but. What is apologetics? I'll just define it very quickly. It is the science and art of systematically defending one's belief, beliefs. It is the science and art of systematically defending one's beliefs through logical and reasoned arguments with the aim of persuasion. I'm going to say it again. Apologetics is the science and art of systematically defending one's beliefs through logical and reasoned arguments with the aim of persuasion. 
So I, I highlighted those two words, science and art, because as a science, it has to do with a system of teaching, a system of doctrine, information, education, knowledge, a body of knowledge that you must know, a belief system. But the art part of it, and, and also under the science, is also like the, the methodologies you know, behind it. But when you talk about the art of apologetics, it's more or less the presentation or the approach that you take in presenting the science of apologetics. Does that make sense? So while one person might literally just read out, um, read out something to someone to convince them, another person can decide to act it out through a play or through a movie. Do you understand? The approach is different. That's why it's called an art. Praise the name of Jesus. But why is apologetics important in the first place? Why do we need to defend our faith? Why do we need to be defend what we believe in and what we think? This is the number one, to break intellectual barriers. I'm going to rush very quickly. There's so much to cover. To break intellectual barriers. So uh, while we preach the gospel, uh, let me just make a disclaimer here. Apologetics in itself is not the preaching of the gospel. Apologetics is vastly and major, majorly a tool used to break any barrier that would obstruct the gospel from having its effect. You understand? Many times it's intellectual. Many times a lot of believers don't think that we need to think about these things. It's all just faith and it shouldn't appeal to our logical reason, but it's far from the truth. The Bible says we should love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. It means that if we are to love God with our mind, it means our mind needs to be involved in knowing God. Do you understand? It means that there is an importance, an intellectual part of understanding God. Praise the name of Jesus. But apologetics helps to break those intellectual barriers that people have. Number two, it is important for effective witnessing. It is important for effective witnessing. If you're going to witness the gospel and preach the gospel unashamedly in this generation, you need apologetics because you're in a generation, especially many of you here, vastly, vast majority of you that are part of this ministry who are listening to this are educated. And so you are going to have to defend your faith to an educated world. All right. So it's important for effective witnessing. Number three, to build personal conviction. Many times we think that apologetics is just for the outside world, it's for unbelievers, but apologetics is for you. It's to help you. How many times have you seen some proof? I mean, I can count the amount of times where maybe I was a bit skeptical or unsure about something as I was growing in the faith, and maybe I read an article or report that started to cite different evidences, like for example, the evidences that Jesus actually existed how do you know jesus existed if you never were there 2000 plus years ago when you see historical accounts by people who were not even christians citing events and and describing jesus himself the nazarene all right who lived in 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 in, in beth who was born in bethlehem who um, lived in galilee and all of that and was crucified on the roman cross when you see those things it helps you you're like wow okay this is real like, I, I believe this by faith, but it's good to see that it makes sense logically and historically. So it helps build your personal conviction because when you stay in this dark world, 
oh, it takes only the grace of God to, to stand in this world, to not bend to their philosophies. So it helps build personal conviction. And lastly, it preserves and builds the church. Number four, it preserves and builds the church. Look at Acts chapter 18 from verse 27 to 28. Acts chapter 18 from verse 27 to verse 28. I'll read it quickly. When Apollos went to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help. Underline that, that phrase. He was a great help. How was he a great help to those? You know, he says he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. How was he a great help? For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debates, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Do you see that? So he helped the church. He helped grow the church. He helped the work of ministry when he came to refute the opponents. In doing so, he was helping the church. He was diminishing the opposition, but he was also reinforcing certain truths to the church, and that helped that helped build the church. Praise the name of Jesus. Apologetics helps the work of ministry, helps the church. Hallelujah. Um, and, and I'll just give you some, some other reasons why apologetics is important. Um, because number one, Jesus did apologetics. <laughs> Jesus actually did apologetics. I'll prove it to you. Look at Luke chapter 7, from verse 19 to 22. Some of you probably never put, you probably knew the scripture, but you never saw it as apologetics. The aim of apologetics at the end of the day is to persuade with evidence, Right? Look at verse 19, Luke 7. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? John the Baptist was in a phase like many of us have been where you were doubting. You you once announced Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Think about that. You announced him as that lamb of God that was slain or that will be slain to take away sin's stain. Oh, that rhymes. Nice. Okay. But you announced him literally in front of everyone. And now you're coming back to say, are you really the one? And of course, there's a sentimental side to him, to it, where, you know, he was in prison. So there was a lot of opposition in his life. And he started to doubt, similar to where you might have been in your life. And so Jesus saw that this guy doubted. John the Baptist doubted him. And how did Jesus respond? Look at this. You know, Jesus could easily have just shamed him and said, look at you. You, you are the one that announced me. You of all people, you. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. Ah, shame on you. He could have responded that way. But look at how he responds. At, the, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to those who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I love that, you know, the account of Thomas, and we did this all through the month last year, um, all through the month last month, when we talked about faith, how Jesus also saw Thomas's unbelief, addressed his unbelief, showed him the evidence, the holes in his hands and in his feet. 
But he also made a statement. He said, blessed are those who have not seen me yet believe. He did the same here. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble in doubt on account of me. He, he did provide the evidence because the Messiah was supposed to be the one who worked these miracles, who brought people from the dead, who went about doing good and preaching the good news to the poor. And he did exactly that and said, if, if you've seen this, then you will know I'm the Messiah. Tell him what you saw. That is apologetics. Amen. Um, another reason is because biblical authors did apologetics. I'll just read uh, a few of them. I'll read John, I'll read Luke, and I'll also read from Paul. So look at 1 John chapter 1. This is how J John starts 1 John chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Do you see how he's emphasizing the sight, the hearing, the witnessing? Because that's what apologetics sounds like. Is, is going all the way you can to provide evidence for the truth. Do you see that in his writing? Let's look at Luke. Mm. <laughs> Let's look at Luke. Um, chapter 1. This is how he starts his own um, discourse. So he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first from who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word with this in mind since i myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning i too decided to write an orderly account for you most excellent theophilus so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught this is apologetics not only did he get the eyewitness account, he also investigated and made it in an orderly account so that Theophilus, who was a leader, a political leader at the time, would be certain of the things that he has been taught. This was to bring conviction and persuasion. Do you see that in his writings? And when you read the book of Luke, oh, you would know that he was making the conscious effort, effort to prove those things. Look at Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 3 to 8. I'll just read it very quickly. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you. So it's, when you look at it, it's something we have received, but it's, it's bringing more evidence just so that your faith can, can be rest assured in these things. It says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was not just by what we saw or, or witnessed, but according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to save us. Look, even if Jesus did die and resurrect, if it was not recorded in the scriptures in the authority of God's word, it, it's, it really doesn't count. It really doesn't count. You can call it a miracle, but if it's not recorded... That the purpose of these things was to save people from their sins. It, it makes no meaning. So he's going back to the source of authority. He's saying according to scriptures, the Christ, the Messiah was to die. He was to rise into his glory. All right. And then he appeared to people. And then he goes on to say this. He said he appeared to 
um, Peter and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. The reason why he said that is because if, if someone appears, first of all, if someone appears to 500 people at the same time, psychologists say it's impossible for 500 people to have the same mass hallucination of someone like just even if they were under the influence of drugs you can't have the same hallucination of the same person it's not possible in fact it's more of a miracle if that happens than a resurrection so jesus did appear to this people and he's saying look some of these people are still alive you can go check with them if you need more information i'll show you to them ask them ask them some of the people who even were probably responsible for putting jesus on the cross praise the name of jesus do you see what i'm saying so apologetics is so important because it helps bring conviction, it helps break barriers and just give sweet, smooth course for the gospel to have its effect. Uh, I'm just going to quickly rush through this um, just to give you a scope of apologetics, what apologetics co- covers, right? Number one, it covers divinity, all right? Um, that's when you talk about God and his character, literally, because that's your client, Right? You are God's lawyer, and you know when it comes to divinity, you have a responsibility to mm, everything just rhymes. A responsibility, the right amount of activity to portray the reality of God's divinity and deity in a world of. Sorry, um, I lost track there, but you get the point. Divinity to prove God and His character. Number two, authenticity. This is where you are to validate the Bible's authority, the Bible's authenticity. How can you trust the Bible? You know, maybe even how can you trust Christianity? So authenticity, number one, divinity, number two, authenticity. Number three, deity. This is where we discuss the deity of Jesus, where you can, you have to, is Jesus really God? How is God a man? How is man a God? You know, how is man God? That's something to do that apologists can cover and can help. All right, to talk about Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, his supremacy above all else. That is um, a scope of apologetics. Number four, reality. That's the, 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 the universe as we know it. You know, the origin of all things. Where did these things come from? Where, what is reality? This is where you also answer what is truth. Is there absolute truth? Is truth relative? This is what you, you, you talk about. So number four, reality. Number five, morality. Number five is morality, how we live, how we act, you know, what are moral principles, how can we validate where they come from, things like that. Morality, number five. Number six, humanity. This is like the, anthro- this is anthropology, human behavior, human lifestyle. And, and just under this humanity, there are five consequential questions of humanity, of life, which apologetics can answer. The first one is where did I come from? That's origin. Where did I come from? Or where do all things come from? That's origin. Then the next one is who am I? That's identity. Who am I? That's identity. Like, like who am I really? Number three is, and, and, and I mean, in a month like this, that is Pride Month, I think that's a very relevant question to ask when it comes to identity. What is your identity? All right? Number three why am I here? Like, what is the meaning of all life? It's, you're talking about meaning. So you're talking about origin, identity, meaning. The fourth question to ask is, how should I live? 
that's a mo the morality part of it, the moral law and, and all of that. Number five is where do I end up? What comes next? That's eternity or destin destiny, basically. Destiny of, of all life. Where, where does it end up? Am I just going to turn into a bag of dust and not exist? So these are things to think about, all right? And this is the scope of apologetics. Apologetics helps to answer these questions um, to skeptics. But if you're going to do apologetics right, there are some misconceptions that you have to drop. And I really hope I can cover this in the time that we have. I'll just be very quick and I need you to follow me, okay? Just give me some, some extra time, all right, to cover this. Um, but there are some misconceptions that you just have to drop if you want to do apologetics right. So number one is God is mysterious. He cannot be explained. God is mysterious. You know, beast, you know there's this scripture that says that, you know, he's mysterious in all his ways. You know, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. You know, he's a mysterious God. You know, Job's 11 verse 7 says, Can you discover the depths of God? Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? And this is a very important thing to discuss. Can you really know God? If he's a mystery, why, why bother? How can, if, how can you be an effective lawyer of God if you can't understand him or you can't predict him or you don't know what he's done? If he's a mystery, then how can you actively defend him? And think, thanks be to God that he is no longer a mystery. There was a time where people didn't understand him. He was a mystery. And I'm going to read some scriptures to you. Look at this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 10. I'll read it very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 6 to 10. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 10. However, we speak wisdom amongst those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they, if, if had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For it was written, eyes have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has he entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them who love him. So there was a time where God was a mystery. His plans were a mystery. They were hidden. Look at verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. This is great news. It means God right now to us is revealed. He is predictable. We can know what he will do if he's unchangeable, if he's immutable, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can't actually predict him. And he has revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. He revealed himself through Jesus. He who is the express image of the Father. If we see Jesus, we can see the, the, the Father. Do you understand? So it's good. God is no longer a mystery. We can understand him. We can defend his characteristics, his attributes. If God is good and, and that never changes, then we can see. We can be able to discern what are the acts of God. What are the things that are not of God? You know, we can, we can show the world who this God really is. Um, Colossians chapter 1 verse 26 says that it is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations but now has been manifested to his saints. Saying the same thing, it was a mystery back then but now through the, the coming of Jesus Christ and the advent of his spirit, there is revelation. Praise the name of Jesus. So that's number one. God is no longer mysterious. He can be understood. Amen. Number two, miscon second misconception to drop is we are not called 
to make arguments. People say, we're not called to make arguments. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not to be arguing and arguing. Because you're educated, you think you can just be arguing and saying all these things. No, God wants us to just love people and just be nice to people and just say, hello, you're cute, you're amazing, God loves you. Ah, my brother, my sister, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I'm going to show you why. All right, the truth is we've actually been called to make arguments. And I'll give you some, some scriptures. Look at this. Jude chap chapter 1 verse 3. Jude has only one chapter. Verse 3 says this. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. He uses the word contend, to wrestle, to fight contend for the faith to defend the faith and contention is not to say hey, you want to say rubbish about my jesus <laughs> take it no it's it's in defending through knowledge through teaching all right um titus 1 9 when, when he was talking about the the qualities of a good pastor he says he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it, refute means to argue, to rebuke, re reprove. He's, it's, to, it's to say, no, that's wrong, this is right, and this is why it is right. All right, so that's a very important point here. But we can also see, we can also see that Paul actually argued. He actually argued. I'm just going to read very quickly three scriptures. Acts chapter 19, verse 8 to 10. And while we're at that, we go to Acts 17 as well, and then we go to Acts 28. So I'll just read Acts 19, verse 8 to 10 very quickly. It says, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. Man, that's a long time. And, and this just tells you that apologetics and evangelism as a whole is not a quick scheme. It's not if they don't believe then, then they're damned for all eternity. They never were meant to be saved. It's a process that you stay. Like the salvation of a person can actually depend on your patience. Think about that. That's huge. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, what did he do? He departed from them and withdrew his disciples reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he left them. They were causing chaos. Some of them didn't believe. He said, no problem. He went to, to a, another place. But daily, he continued to reason. Verse 10, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Do you know what it means? That an entire continent heard the message of the gospel for one man's diligence and argument and reasoning. See, Arguments are a vital ingredient in apologetics. You can't apologize. And by the way, the word apology here is the word for the Greek word apologia, which means to give a defense, to, to give evidence, to defend someone. All right. You can't be an effective apologist if you don't make reasoned arguments, not just blatant, mindless arguments, but reasoned arguments that, okay, listen to this. And arguments is not always, doesn't always have to be tense. Doesn't always have to be an uproar and you are scattering tables. You people are liars. Oh, you people are just of, of the devil. 
No, it's 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 you calling someone like, think about what you just said. I don't agree with it, and this is why. Because if this were to be it, this, this, this. If that should be it, this, this, this. Doesn't that make sense? That is what arguments looks like. Does that, do you understand? So he did this for two years. And it's, oh man. <laughs> Big shoes to fill. Acts 17 verse 1 to, to verse 4. Acts 17, 1 to 4. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, I love Paul, and, and I hope that this will be said about you, as, as was Ibube's custom, as was Mike's custom. Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scripture. So he was going on three, three Saturdays back then, on three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This is what these guys spent their lives doing to prove to these Jewish people that from the scriptures, you can see that Jesus fulfilled the role of the Messiah. He died and he was raised by the power of God. Amen. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he declared. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few leading women. Look, your, your dedication to argue and reason with people can save their lives. It took him three Sabbath days. He was patient. Praise the name of Jesus. Acts 28 verse 23. I'll read this very quickly. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified. That's argument. Even though he did it solemnly, he was arguing. He disagreed and gave his reasons. Solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Some of you, you've, in this ministry, you've attended some of our five-hour Bible studies or eight-hour Bible studies. This one was almost 20 hours, probably 24, maybe. From morning till evening, he explained and reasoned to them. Guys, arguments are very important. You can't win people without convincing them through arguments. It's, it's hardly possible. Praise the name of Jesus. Then number three misconception to drop is my lifestyle is sufficient to get people saved. People say this, that look, you are the only Bible that people will see. And I get their point that, you know, you just need to live a life that is, that is honorable. You know, the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. Yes, that is very true. But what about your lifestyle and your actions? Tell people the message of the gospel. Remember the gospel is a message it's news it's good news imagine they're, they're about to share news right and they're trying to tell us that the ukrainian russian war has ended and the newscaster just comes on the tv and does like this <laughs> how can you tell by the way for those of you who couldn't see me i was just smiling nodding giving thumbs up you know, saying that all is well. But how can you know I was talking about the Ukrainian-Russian war? Even if I did the best charades explanation, you probably won't get it in its accuracy. 
So while you can live a good life and it's commendable and you can do these things and people see God through your life, for them to be convinced of the truth, you need to teach a message. So your lifestyle is not just enough. You must endeavor to always speak the truth beyond your lifestyle. Now, of course, you practice what you preach, but you must preach anyways. Praise the name of Jesus. All right. And I'm going to just go to this as we round off. I'm going to just... Um, talk more about some few things but I mean when you engage with people those who are without people have doubts people have questions but one thing you need to remember is don't just answer the questions answer the questionnaire answer the person who is asking because sometimes people ask questions but you need to know why they are asking those questions you need to understand their background. You need to understand their worldview. You need to understand where they are coming from so that the answer you give to that question is, is not biased or irrelevant. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'll give you what I mean and explain to you what I mean by that. I'll give you the reasons why people doubt and that will show you why it is important to answer the questionnaire so that you understand what is fueling that person's doubt and how can you address it all right remember apologetics is really about wisdom the art part of it is wisdom and you understand in presenting the gospel presenting truth there is wisdom and that's why it says walk in wisdom to them which are without colossians chapter 4 right so these are the reasons behind um, people's doubts and people's skepticisms number one intellectual there are intellectual reasons behind what people believe and what they don't believe like their intellectual hindrances sometimes people think that no you can't tell me that god said let there be light and there was light no there must have been electrons and photons generated when there's heat on a metal plate and the cathode and the anode produces this you know and they give you all this logical you know intellectual things they're like no let there be light doesn't make sense it's you know and that can be a reason why they doubt, honestly. Maybe when they think of the creation of man, they believe evolution is more scientific than a supernatural designer who makes all things possible. A supreme supernatural designer. They believe evolution makes more logical sense, more intellectual sense. And so what you need to do with this is identify that, okay, truly, your doubt is just purely intellectual. It's just not adding up to you, maybe scientifically, theoretically. So let me, let me help you out in that way. Do you understand? And this was something that Paul did in Athens in Acts chapter 17, where he saw that these people were very religious. He then went logically and said, God does not live in houses. I'll, I'll talk about this much more later, and maybe even in another state conference. Does not live in houses made by human hands. And he started to go logically to prove the kind of God that they presented, that unknown God. Do you understand? So if it's intellectual, address it as intellectual so that you can break those barriers. Number two reason why people doubt is moral reasons. Moral reasons. Some people just don't want to have anything to do with God because they don't want to be policed. They don't want to be policed around. They don't want to be accountable to some big guy in the sky who is watching their every move. They rather not have him existence so that they're not held accountable for their actions. It's a moral reason. Yes, logically, it makes sense. There should be a God. I mean, there has to be someone beyond this physical plane, some supreme being or some otherworldly force. But 
I just don't want to believe it because I want to live my life the way I want to live my life, in a reckless abandon. That's a reason. And you have to identify that that really is the reason. It's not that it doesn't make sense logically or it's not reasonable, but this person is just not ready to do away with their lifestyle. Do you understand? Number three, emotional. And this one is very sensitive and it takes discernment. Some people don't doubt God because they don't know the things they should know or it doesn't make sense to them. Many of them have been let down. Many of them have been disappointed. Many of them have seen the things that are happening around. I know someone who um, became agnostic, who was once a believer, who started doubting their faith because there was just so much evil around and it was getting to her. She, she was affected by it so much. Like, why are there killings every day? Why were this woman raped? Why is God not doing anything about it? It was more emotional than anything. I know someone who also doubted God because someone they had prayed for for such a long time to get well and get better um, didn't get better. And so it was his statement was God killed this person. And this was someone who was faithful in the church. How could God let this happen? That's more emotional. Your response in answering those questions is not to first say, ah, okay, uh, see that uh, you have emotional issues with God. Let me just step by step. Step one, get over it. Step two, you see God... <laughs> You will make no impact that way. What you need to do is extend some love. Extend a shoulder to cry on. Give the person a hug. Let them know that they are seen, that they are heard, that their feelings are valid. You need to, to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. The Bible says that. And so you need to first address it from a point of personal interaction. Make it personal. Be loving treat them with gentleness and kindness the fruit of the spirit before you start to address the doubt in fact many times just because of your show of kindness a lot of the barriers are taken away and that's how to do apologetics number number four it can be spiritual the reason behind people's doubts can be spiritual second corinthians chapter 4 from verse 3 to 4 it says but even if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing if people can't see understand uh, the gospel is because it's veiled to those who are perishing, unbelievers. Verse 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So this is an act of the devil and the enemy through different means, whether it's the media, whether it's through politics, to just mask people from seeing the gospel truth. It's a spiritual spiritual forces behind this all right and in this case for some people many people are also the bible says we are not you know we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers a lot of these powers are fighting to get people's attention a lot of people are possessed and oppressed by the enemy and you need to first set them free from those oppressions set them free from those um, possessive acts of the enemy so that they can be in a position where they can receive the gospel. Do you understand? Where they can receive truth. So there are times that it's actually spiritual. And then number five, it can be hybrid. It can be a mixture of one or two of these things I've talked about. It's not always just one. It can be a combination of one or more. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So remember to answer the questionnaire, not just the question. And the last thing I'll say as we round off is how to be a good lawyer. <laughs> how to be a good lawyer if you're going to do apologetics effectively how should you go about it and i want you to remember this point very carefully number one do it prayerfully 
If you're going to defend your faith, do it prayerfully. You cannot underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer touches hearts. It, it molds hearts. It, it, it makes people more receptive. The power of God can change a life through prayer. Your prayers count. They work. So pray. Pray for these people that you know have questions. Sometimes people just, just have these things taken care of when you spend time praying for them. All right, God will just start to supernaturally reinforce those truths. Somehow they just start to be convinced of the truth. There's someone that I've been chasing for a very long time who I believe in just a, a promiscuous wayward life. You know, this person has been doing whatever they wanted to do. And I had been always checking up every, every other day, checking in, checking in, um, trying to pray, trying to get their attention. It wasn't working. I said, I'm going to leave you for one month. I would be on your case in prayer for one month. I will, <laughs> I will blast you in tongues. And um, I did that. And after a month, I reached out to this person. This was two days ago. I reached out to this person. And this person was just smiling all through the call. Smiling, smiling. I was like, ah, what's going on? And the person was like, I can't explain it. I, I just feel this love from God. I don't know. I've never been at peace like this in my life. And I actually see better. I see where I've made mistakes. I was like, what on earth? I'm telling you, in that one month, I didn't talk to this person. I spent time praying. And, and the difference was clear. Prayer works, folks. It, it works. So that's number one. Number two, do it with discernment. Um, remember what we said, you're answering the question and not just the question. So you need to be able to discern. If you're going to be a good lawyer, you need to be able to discern. You need to be able to be sure where this is coming from. You also need to be able to discern the right approach to take. Do you understand? Number three, you need to do it with confidence. Remember, we are proud people here, but we're proud for the right things. Amen. The Vivify, we are proud. We boast in Jesus. We are confident in him. All right. At the end of the day, you need to sell your truth, which is the truth to people. They need to be able to believe. You need to be believable. If you're going to say, look, anybody who can say what they say with utmost confidence, without the slightest inkling of, of doubt, you are much, much more believable. There was an atheist who was, this is a story in, in um, I think, Eastern London long ago, when there was this renowned atheist in the a day who was running under the rain, it was raining, it was pouring heavily, and he was running. And someone who recognized him from his works said, Oh, hello, sir. Oh, it's so nice to meet you. I'm a huge fan of your works. What's going on? How come you're, why are you running to in such a hurry under the rain? And this atheist was like, Oh, oh, I'm going for a crusade. I was like, A crusade? I'm confused. It's like, I thought you're an atheist. He said, Yes, yes, I'm an atheist, but I finally get to hear someone. Who actually believes what they're saying so the preacher he was going to see I think I don't know if who it was at the time but a renowned preacher or someone who was known to stand strongly in their belief system who actually sounded like they believed what they were saying and that got this guy's attention look if you're going to preach anything say it with confidence yes Jesus is God the one and only God you can say it and people will think ah this guy you've lost it but you need to be bold about what you believe be bold about it stand confidently in it praise the name of jesus that's the only way to persuade people you need to sound sure i believe when paul was speaking to these people for for you to do this for two years you are you are confident for you to do this for three sabbath days you are very sure of what you are saying do you understand 
Um, so do it with confidence. Number four, do it charismatically. And charismatically is not just, it's not the same as confidence in this context. It's more of do it with the power of the Holy Ghost. And so when John the Baptist sent those people to confirm, is this really the Christ? He did some things. The, the evidence he gave was not just with words, it was with action, with the power of the Holy Spirit. If we are telling people that Jesus truly is alive, he is risen from the dead, he lives forevermore, and his power still reigns, you need to prove that the power of this risen Christ is still at work. Do you understand? And so signs, wonders are a testimony to the witness um, of the gospel. Do you understand? So you need to do it charismatically if you're going to defend God. You need to show signs, wonders, things beyond the natural for people. Um, I wish I could spend time sharing my stories of how I've done this, but maybe for, uh, we'll talk about that another time. Number five, to be a good lawyer of God, you need to do it patiently. You need to do it very patiently. And I'll give you the example of Paul, how he, he continued reasoned with these people daily. Another time he did it morning till night. Another time he did it for two years. If you're going to do this thing and be effective, you must wait, you must stay. Remember what I said, don't just say, but stay. Be patient. Stay with people till they come to a place where they are re reasoning these things out. And maybe at the end of the day, all you're doing is just to sow a seed. Someone else will come and water those seeds that you have planted. And the person will be like, oh, that's what that guy was saying back then and I didn't listen. It makes sense to me now. Someone else waters. So you're not always going to be the one to plant and water and harvest, but you can plant. Everyone has the responsibility to plant and plant patiently. Crops, you don't plant a crop and, and it grows the very next day. At least not that I know of. Sometimes it takes three months. Sometimes it takes perennial crops take like three years. It takes time before it germinates and grows to maturity. And you must be that patient as well. Praise the name of Jesus. All right, Jude verse 22 says, be merciful to those who doubt. All right, this is how you show mercy. You stay patiently with them. Passionately, number six, is how you should be a good lawyer. Passionately. And this is where I'm going to end this teaching. If you're going to present the message that makes the difference between life and death, oh, my people, oh, blessed people of God, you need to preach it passionately. People need to know that this thing is real. You need to make them know that they cannot afford to be indifferent about anything that they believe. If they believe in it, they must believe in it 100% without a shadow of doubt because their life depends on it. There's a way you will talk, not just confidently, but passionately. Like, see, I need you to believe it. The way the Bible describes it for us in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we plead to, do, to people as though God does beseech them through us. Like you are begging people, please be reconciled to God. Your life depends on it. This is the truth. Don't just be logical and sound. You know, you see uh, uh, the report in, uh, in uh, the article by the historian. And you just speak fancy language. Let it show that all you are saying means something. At the end of the day, this can in turn make the difference in their eternal destination. You must preach passionately. The gospel is a passionate message. It's a passionate message. And any evidence you bring to provide to this, you must do it passionately. Every time Paul or Peter or John will stand up to defend Jesus, they will talk about it passionately, how he died for the, for the forgiveness of our sins and was raised by the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I beg your pardon, 
for our justification. It was a powerful, passionate message. Praise the name of Jesus. But guys, what you believe matters and what people actually believe also matters. And if what they believe does not align with the truth that you believe, you must make every effort to make sure that that changes. You cannot have met someone and leave them the same way you met them. You must make the most and take advantage of every opportunity of everyone that you meet. You make it a point of duty that in my life you talk to yourself, Kenneth, everyone that you meet in this life, anyone you come in contact with, oh, they will know the Lord. I would defend God to them in the most powerful, the most wise, the most creative ways possible. In the name of Jesus, through my life, people will know the truth. In this dark world, people will see the light that I shine. In the name of Jesus, I will enlighten many through the preaching of the gospel. I will break down strongholds. I will tear down imaginations. I will bring people to the knowledge of Christ. Come on, turn this to prayer right now, people of God. Come on, pray. Come on, say your name and pray. Say the things that you will do for the name of God, for the sake of God. Come on, talk about how you will defend him ferociously in front of people. You will defend him vehemently wherever you are. You will stand for the truth. You will stand as a proud Christian who is proud of this God, who is boastful in this God, who is secure in this God, who trusts this God. Oh, beyond reasonable doubt. Come on, pray right now. In the name of Jesus, many will come to faith because of my sacrifice, because of my involvement, because of my decision today to be an effective witness of Christ, to be an ambassador of Christ, not just in action, but in my words, in my speech. In the name of Jesus, I will apologize the world. In the name of Jesus, I will cover the world with the knowledge of the truth. In the name of Jesus, no matter what is at stake, whether it's my job, whether it's my integrity on the line, whether it's, it, it's some opportunity that would probably skyrocket me but needs me to compromise, I will never compromise. I will stand on the truth that I believe without compromise. In the name of Jesus, are you praying, blessed people of God? Ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, your life will count for the gospel. Your life will count in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. The Lord is asking me to do this right now. Someone who is listening needs an activation. It is sort of 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 equipping by the spirit to stand strongly for the truth there's an activation that's going to happen right now and i want you to receive it right now if this is you you want your evangelical life to change forever the boldness that comes only from god you want to receive it you want to be persuasive in speech you want to be effective in ministry if that is you right now by the power of the holy ghost receive 
these activation now by the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus. Eight, seven, six, five, four, three. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. An activation. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you will never be, be the same anymore. You will never remain the same. Thank you, Jesus. Abilities, new abilities have been released in your life. New abilities to do more, to preach the gospel, to spread it wherever you are, with boldness, without fear. Be activated now. Thank you, Jesus. Graces are activated, activated in your life it's coming to life oh glory to god glory to god thank you jesus thank you jesus oh thank you father in jesus mighty name we have prayed that's it thank you jesus lord we bless you because you have blessed us we thank you for the privilege to be your ambassadors to represent you in this dark and crazy world lord maybe ever shine as lights wherever we go may we be the spitting image of our father may we represent you in the best ways possible and the most effective ways as such thank you father we will cover this earth with your truth we will be more vocal than we've ever been before we will take pride in the knowledge that we have of you and spread the world spread the, this this knowledge throughout the world thank you heavenly father I pray that throughout the course of this month and this teaching series, you would help restore all that was lost. All confidence in you that your people have lost, where there have been doubts, where there have been skepticisms and, and gaps in their understanding. Lord, I pray you will bridge those gaps in the name of Jesus. You will restore their confidence in you so that they put all their faith in you and trust you come what may. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed amen glory to god hallelujah i am super confident that this has been a blessing to you keep praying with it and let these words drive you to action to live in the fullness of the will of god for your life stick around for more god bless you i love you